Hello, everybody. This is Ari in the Air. Welcome back to the podcast. Stoked you're here today. I have just an absolutely mind-blowing conversation with one of the most brazen philosophers on the planet right now. Alexander Bard, the Swedish rock star king, is back to drop more bold bombs on sexuality and male camaraderie and the future of human relationships. And the amount of times that he says the term gangbang in this conversation just brings just warmth to my heart. Um, <laughs> which we get into exactly what we mean there. Um, but it's so good. He was just featured on the Aubrey Marcus podcast and uh, he's worth all of the notoriety that he's getting. He's very bold and he's very thoughtful and uh, he's also a become a mentor and friend of mine and I just love him and appreciate his time. He's a great influence on my life and empowers me to really speak up and just let it fucking hang out there, which is rad. Um, so yeah, I think you, there's just so much in this one. Um, looking forward to hearing from you guys as to how this lands. And like always, if you are looking to untie existential knots in your life, relational or otherwise, Check out airyintheair.com. There's a coaching page with a link to a free intro call for philosophical coaching, which I also call spiritual hype man. I am a spiritual hype man. That is what Peter Lindbergh at the Stoa has coined me. And that is kind of my work with my coaching practice. Um, also, if you like this show, just recognize that you are in a very small niche corner of the internet and your support would be so appreciated at patreon.com that's patreon.com slash airy in the air for as little as five dollars a month you can put gas in the tank of this show to keep more wild people like alexander bard spitting their hot philosophical fire on here (laughs) um so yeah without further ado here's a little bit of music in my conversation second conversation of three there's another one that's already recorded uh with mr alexander bard Alexander Bard, welcome back to the show. Stoked you're here. Hello, Ari. Nice to be here with you. Okay, so on our last call, we kind of touched on it only briefly, but there was a sentiment that I heard from you that was essentially, if I use Zach Stein's term, that we're in a time between worlds, that we are transitioning from some kind of old way and we are not sure what the new way is going to be. The sentiment that I heard from you was that it's wise for people to be experimenting with their relationships, the shape of their families, the their sexuality. And I wanted to kind of hear you elaborate on this and uh, see where our views overlap on this. Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm all for the experimentation. 
I think it's necessary and I think it's dialectical. So, I mean, these are enormous forces we're talking about. We're talking about sexuality itself. Sexuality is never harmonious, never balanced. It always fucks us up in every direction possible, also literally, right? So the nuclear family was invented by a Prussian bureaucrat in the 1810s, like 1813 or something. His purpose was not to make us happy. It was to make us frustrated and being good capitalists. So he basically split up the villages in Northern Europe and turned them into farms with a him and a her and some kids and a house together. And it turned out to be very productive for farming. We could depopulate the European countryside. We populated North America with those very people. Uh, we also populated Northern Europe and in our industrial towns and eventually our big cities and suddenly had hundreds of millions of babies. You know, women on average had like six or seven children and most of them survived due to, of course, medical improvements and because the nuclear family seemed to work. Now, this was, of course, long before divorces were even thought of, like they were totally socially unaccepted. Uh, when we then arrive after 1945, when millions of men have died in a war, a lot of women are left as widows or there's no marriage material around for women, leading to feminism. Eventually, we got the pill in the 1960s. The condoms come along. And of course, the nuclear family is in a huge crisis and it implodes. I live in Sweden. It's now so laughable that people on average divorce and remarry four times in their lifetimes, on average. Okay, We've gone from two to four divorces in a lifetime in just the last generation. So the 20 year olds today, if a 20 year old girl today in Sweden is dreaming about having this you know, guy on a white horse riding in, saving her and taking her away, sweeping her away to a monogamous love forever. Uh, okay, that's now so fucking pathetic that it's absolutely will never ever happen for anyone. Mm. It's totally out of the question. So this means we have to revisit history, understand what family is. Personally, I'm driving a political campaign in Sweden where every Swedish child born should have at least four parents on paper from day one. Mm, interesting. Because it looks more like a classical family. Family in most cultures is up to 40 people. Next is clan, which is 150 people, usually consists of four or five families. So we need more parents for each kid, for kids to do fine. We also invest more in each kid that's born today. And also, if you have things like daycare centers around, we know for a fact in Europe that Sweden, France, and Ireland are the only countries in the Western world today where women give birth to more than two children on average, meaning the population can be intact, which is unheard of anywhere else, simply because we have daycare centers called crash in France, they're called doggies in Sweden. So obviously, this is what women want. And I, I'm always adamant about this idea that we have to start with the premise that a culture is never more civilized than its women's willingness to give birth to children. So let us go anywhere else we talk about polyamorosity or free sex or anything like that at all. Because if women stop having children, we have failed. Hmm. That's, the, that's the end line. Anything else is too childish, too infantile, not built to last, won't work. Hmm. But we can now throw the idea of marriage up in the air and totally deconstruct it and reconstruct it. And what does it mean to have a relationship in the first place? Should you have any at all? Personally, I've had a girlfriend for 24 years. She lives with women. I live with men. We never argue. It's highly recommended. The only price you paid for that is to not have kids. But if you don't want to have kids, this works. I guarantee it works, right? So 
I live a very experimental lifestyle myself. Both you and I are part of the burner community. It's thriving on these ideas of what does it mean to have an open relationship? What does polyamorosity mean? And, but, but all I'm saying is that you're basically free to experiment as much as you like, but watch out what is your motive here. Like think of it like a psychedelic experience. It needs an intention. Mm. It then has a ceremony and it needs an integration. And I think whenever you're off on your amorous adventures or whatever you want to call them, you know, or your orgy parties in San Francisco, whatever you're looking for, you know, check out if there's a Peter Pan syndrome driving you. If there's a, if you're the guy who wants both to have the cake and eat it at the same time, mm. then, uh, okay, that's not going to work. Right. You know, you want your girlfriend to be monogamous. You want to sleep around. Okay. None of those things will work. So get the 11 year old out of your head, become a fully grown up man and an adult, and then start looking at these questions. And but basically, ethically, you have the right that anything you can handle, you can also expect your partner to handle the same thing. So if you want to optimize your life, if you don't want to say no, if you want to say yes to you know, the funniest, deepest, most profound adventures you could possibly have, then if your partner goes, goes well, you must go ahead with that and do it. But if you don't feel jealous towards your partner, then your partner has no right to feel jealous either. Or, or they have to deal with it on their own. So I think that's where we need to start. Does okay. that make sense? Is that where you're at yourself? There's, you- there's, so, there's so much in there. There's so much in there. And there's, I want to get back to this jealousy, compersion, dichotomy. But first, there's something that you went over really quickly there that I think that we need to understand and is of critical import. And there's not a ton of people talking about this. And that is like the stability of our population. There is currently in my generation, as I've experienced it, basically a disdain for humanity that, you know, the, the, the energetic of the argument is that humans are a like plague on the earth. And this is, this runs rampant in the environmental community. um, And it's so tragic to me. It's so tragic. And Basically, what I've been, the the rhetoric that I've had to wade through as I've came up is that having children ruins your life. It's also bad for the earth. Um, and between those two things, there is, and, and many more, there is a, a seeming disdain or mistrust for reproduction in people my age. Um, It seems really sad to me, but it also has profound implications on the stability of our civilization. So I'd love to get into this. Yeah. So so this goes back to the 1970s. You know, the climate change issue at the time was population explosion. So we saw most of the world had women who give birth to seven children, out of which seven survived. So women would give birth to seven or eight children like 200 years ago, but five or six of those children would die before adult age. So you barely kept the population intact by giving birth to a lot of kids. What happened was, of course, there were improvements, medical improvements and things like that starting in the 19th century. And suddenly what happened in Europe was had a huge population increase in Europe. Uh, Seven out of seven children survived women didn't die from childbirth any longer. 
which is a bit like men not dying in warfare any longer. It's, it's a radical motivation for women and women's lives. So that was, a, that was obviously a, anybody who's at least a decent classical feminist like you I mean, would say that was an enormous achievement. Yeah. But the problem was by the 1970s, the world was going towards overpopulation. What happened though was that everybody was surprised to find out that a certain standard, a certain social standard, a certain standard of living, women could just say, uh, listen, since all my kids are gonna survive, I might as well have two instead of seven kids. And this rapidly transformed Europe and America uh, and then it started happening even quicker in other parts of the world. South Korea went from seven children per woman to 1.8 children per woman in a generation. Wow. Because people mimic each other. So people just realized anywhere in the world, the women realized that, listen, I don't have to have more than one or two kids at most, if kids at all, right? And, and this is the radical change for 50 years ago. So it's understandable that the overpopulation case stayed with environmentalists and moved into dark ecology. The problem now, though, with dark ecology, we must address this issue, debate them down. Because, yeah, but that was a problem in the 1970s. It's no longer a problem. Mm. You know, population is now sustainable in the world. Yeah, Africans are giving birth to more babies than the rest of us, but we don't mind another African migration to the rest of the world because they're going to fill up so many holes of few, too few people in other parts of the world. So we're going to see Africans move to China, to India, to Russia especially. Russia, Ukraine, more than anything, probably Europe and America too. And they work hard, they're overachievers. And we're all Africans originally anyway, so that's not a major problem. We'll have Ethiopians and Nigerians being kings of the world within 50 years. I don't have a problem with that at all. You know, At least with the recognize that African women are still giving birth to children, although our birth rates are also starting to come down quite drastically in Africa too. So the dark ecologists were right from the world 50 years ago, but that's no longer a problem. Now we can deal with climate change and we can lock up the atomic bomb. Those are the main issues. Overpopulation is not a major issue any longer anywhere in the world. Rather, it's the opposite problem. We have an aging population. And the aging population, nobody to take care of them yes. when they get older, right? Yeah. This is the problem, acute problem in Japan and China. It's certainly a problem in Europe and it's a problem waiting to happen in America too. So the dark ecologists out there either hate themselves so much they're talking about themselves or they feel that they're so fucking superior to everybody else. They're what I call pillar saints, that everybody's inferior to them. So they should have babies, but most people should not have babies. Both those two causes are, of course, really nasty and dark. So we need to hold them responsible for actually the sort of woke extremism they go for when, when, when they hate having kids around. Kids are wonderful. Any animal <laughs> loves its own. <laughs> if you don't love your own, if you're an animal, and we are animals, you're really sick, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with kids. The fact that I didn't have kids, I have adopted so many fucking kids. I've had my whole day do mentorship talks today. You have no idea how parental you become. So at least we can mm -hmm. say that you might not have your own kids, but you will certainly be a father or a mother or an uncle yes. or an aunt or whatever. If you just open to the world, you have a positive worldview, you will be a parent. That's sound. That makes sense. We now need to get these extremes out of the way. We can't have no babies and we can't have seven babies per woman. But we can expect a woman to have maybe one or two babies in her lifetime. And maybe she wants to have those babies when she's younger than today because it's biologically more easy to do so. And the feminists I talk to now are starting to advocate the idea that maybe women should be allowed to have babies between 18 and 20 years of age. And then they go to higher education. Yeah. And then they have a career. Women have no problem at all picking up an education when they're 28 with little kids around them and having done the whole birthing thing. 
is actually much more sound if they could do that. Yeah. It's those kind of ideas we need to explore in society. We need to give women the opportunity to say, why don't you give ba have babies between 18 and 28 and have two or three of the babies? And then when you're 28 and the babies can take care of each other and go to daycare center, you can have a career, get higher education and then go to work. And then when you go to work at 35, you really know what you want to do. Mm. And you can then work until you're 70 or 80 years old and have grandkids. I think a lot of women would love these ideas. You know, radical feminists are probably opposed to them because they're still stuck with the mindset that women should be like men. But if we really accept female biology, and if we really love the mother, like Camille Pagler says, feminism has not arrived until feminism starts worshiping and defending the mother. Mm. I fundamentally believe that is true. And this is why all these guys that come to me want to talk about polyamorosity. They say, I'm going to introduce you to that world. I'm going to take your female partner with you. But let's just, let's just nail this first. You two, if you're a couple, need to figure out, are you going to raise a family together or not? Mm -hmm. Because if you are, that's the priority. Yeah. It could be a really good idea to practice monogamy during those intense years when you are getting pregnant, having the baby, and are focused on each other to share this amazing experience of seeing your own child being born together. Mm -hmm. So monogamy can work. It's a good idea, but it's probably just temporary. It's mm. not for life. If, if to, to, to borrow it from Jordan Peterson, he says that marriage only makes sense in the context of family. If you don't have children, then what, what is marriage for? Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So women dream about weddings and men dream about marriages. <laughs> Let's say that marriage is a masculine fantasy to start with. It's about property and it's about control and ownership mm -hmm. and having somebody there because men dream about having his own valley to himself, his own ranch, like, and he's going to be the father figure. He's going to have his wife and his kids and raise a family here, except that that never existed historically. Where are the grandparents? Where are the aunts? Where are the uncles? No, a child is raised by a village. Mm -hmm. not by a mom and a dad. And the way I always stress this to people is to, to emphasize that you have to remember that when Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet, it was intended as a comedy. Mm. People laughed their heads off at these stu two stupid jerks on the stage and then both died. It's like pathetic. Like you were raised in great families. These families wanted you to marry other great families. You could still have a fucking sex life or whatever you guys wanted to do. Nobody prevented you from doing that. But the romantic love came into the picture. And that's why we started doing Romeo and Juliet as a tragedy in, at the end of the 19th century, because we'd killed God. Mm -hmm. Christianity was on its way out. The urban elites in North America and Europe were increasingly secular. And the problem was that we replaced the belief in God with the belief in romantic love. My big enemy is romantic love. There is no such thing. We were romantic about God. We were romantic about saints. We were romantic about forefathers and foremothers. We were romantic about tribe. We were romantic about family, clan. We're not romantic about a person. There is no girl out there that's got to fill all your gaps and suddenly make you whole because you meet her. There's not a boy out there for you to meet as a girl who's going to fill all your gaps and be everything for you. That's a pathetic idea. It's a lack of imagination. It's boring. Mm. right that's the enemy the enemy to me is not love the enemy to me is the idea of romantic love because it dies it takes maximum six months and it's over mm. the whole point was to just get the attention of somebody you don't know and start imagining they're more interesting than they probably are 
Because when you see tits and ass, you think a woman is much more interesting than she really is. And when she sees your dick, she thinks you're a lot more interesting than you actually are. And just for a few months, you actually believe that she is interesting and she believes you're interesting because you're dating each other and you're fucking each other after a while. And after you fucked each other for a while, you realize, but this is just a regular girl. And she thinks of you, well, he's just a regular guy. And then you break up. And then you go to the next romantic love. And then the next romantic love. And then you become a fucking alcoholic kick seeker in need of AI, AI or something, AA or something. Because you just kick seek, you're just seeking the kick of being romantically engaged mm-hmm. with somebody. You're not even seeking woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You there's... just become another one of all these kick seekers out there who's an infantile 11 year old Peter Pan mm-hmm. who doesn't see woman, doesn't get to know woman, mm-hmm. doesn't go deep with woman and therefore doesn't have a relationship with anybody. Mm. Sleeping around is not relationships. So I wish all guys could enjoy going at least into depth with a woman and explore the man-woman relationship with all its impossibilities and with all its Mm. dramas and everything and go deep on it, not just sexually, but emotionally and learn to know what a woman is like to live next to and Mm -hmm. see what the benefits are and what the costs are. Get the cost benefit out of the way. Because then you can learn how to love. You can only learn how to love because to love somebody is to know somebody. Now, once you've done this and you figure out where the children thing is, and you're right, marriage is all about family and kids. A man and a woman who won't have kids don't need to get married. So point to it. That's all about securing the kids having, you know, a fair chance of having a stable background as they grow up. Mm-hmm. with both parents being responsible for bringing other parents into the picture and for giving the kids a nice chance in life and a good childhood, right? That's all this. If you put that on the map, on your time map, you put here's family and kids, if I'm going to do it, here's well, I want to do that. And don't leave it for her to decide. Be, be engaged. Is this what you want to do or not? And then when you get the romantic love thing out of the way, otherwise you're just going to jump from woman to woman to woman when you go polyamorous and you're going to be a kick seeker and women are going to hate you for it. Mm-hmm. Because they hate themselves for doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Get romance out of the way. Romance is just an initial intuitive feeling that this could be of interest to you. Mm. That's all it is. There's nothing else there. Love is entirely different from that. So mm. when you then, like me, you teach tantric sex, you ask people what they expect. And they list tons of shit. And you say, no, not that. No, not that. No, not that. That. Sex. You only teach sex. You only teach sexology, nothing else. You only teach dick and pussy. You only, you teach the guy not to come. He's a woman to stop touching her clitoris during intercourse, because it's the same thing, same problem. Then suddenly you go from six minutes to six hours of sex. It's fantastic, but it's deep, it's profound. It's totally different from the jumping from one girl to the next and having six minutes of sex and then coming and jumping to the next one the next day. You get out of the whole kick-seeking thing. You get out of the low-quality thing. You move into a world of high-quality sex with partners who you are sexually interested in. Mm -hmm. And then you have the liberty to address a woman and say, I'm sexually attracted to you. What do you say? And you're honest about it. And you can have other relationships that have nothing to do with sexuality, Mm -hmm. but everything to do with everything else. Mm-hmm. then you can start exploring polyamorosity. Mm-hmm. Then you're ready for it. There's so much there. There's so much in there. <laughs> um, where's, where's your own journey in all of this? Because I've had my journey, obviously, and I'm older than you, way older than you are. So I speak from a point of having been through things. Where are you at? 
Even. What can you speak about in public? It's okay. What can public you publicly now. speak about? Well, in the sutric realm right now, because we're in the public, we're not in the tantric realm. Well, I want to get there, but hold on, because you just covered a hundred years of relational ground in six minutes, and uh, it's really quite beautiful and insightful. And I want to highlight some of these points here for the listener before we move on, because I am willing to share my, my journey here. And I do also want to circle back to the jealousy, compersion, sadism, masochism, positive coupling of emotions that is at the heart of what I see to be what loving is because we are, you have, you have illuminated in your, to, in your last run there that having your sexuality and your emotional romanticism coupled is not or blindly coupled is not the healthiest way to be having relationships. And it lends itself to what you call kick seeking or state seeking where you are perpetually seeking that fleeting high of new romantic energy in re new relationship energy and that is an unstable way for our society to develop because of the population collapse that we see it's also an unstable way for you to manage relationships and the women will hate you because of it um, because they, as you said, hate themselves for doing it. There's no depth and there's no real intimacy. It's just, as you put it, the Peter Pan, the 11-year-old undeveloped, unintegrated man inside wanting to be approved of, wanting to be uh, seen, accepted, held, received, and the depth is not there. I agree with you that it, I hope for people to develop the capacities for real intimacy. I've spoken about those skill sets on this podcast a lot. Um, and I think I've, uh, I'm, I'm still interested in hearing different takes on that. I even think you're too masculine when you say intimacy, because that's actually masculine fantasy to expect that from sex. So I bring in 50 guys and 50 women in a room separate them and then ask them what they expect from a tantric course. The man will say sex and intimacy. Mm-hmm. No woman will say intimacy. Their mm-hmm. problem is that they say sex and love. What they mean with love is that he should give me a first and he should, you know, you know, date me and all that. And then tease him. no, 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 get rid of that. This is all about the sex. What you do with the guys that, you know, you're not going to get intimacy from women. You're going to get sex. Where do you get the intimacy from? From your brothers, from other men. Hmm. So in a way, if somebody is romantically in love with women constantly, you should ask him, have you been romantic towards men? I mean, do you have storming strong feelings for men? Not sexual, but central. And, you know, here's my brother. I could do anything for him. Have you had that? If you haven't had that, you're not ready to go emotionally close to women. Oh, that's so interesting. You must first go to your own gender and find what you can find your own gender. And then you will discover that what you're looking for in women is something men cannot give you, which is tits and ass. Mm. That's sex. But Mm. men men go for sex. That's why I sort of interrupt you. 
watch out for the word intimacy here. That's a masculine fantasy to expect from sex. Women are actually, they feel very eerie with men who try to find intimacy in the sexual encounter with them. They prefer if the men have intimacy already with other men to then seek the sexual encounter with her. You that's get a just, lot more women on board if, if you phrase it that way. Yeah, that's it's so interesting. I think that what you're speaking to, how it bring what it brings up for me is essentially, you know, the shadow in in men these days is that they repress their desire to fuck and fight. Yes. And so what women say when you say, if you ask a man in front of the women, what do you mean with intimacy? The women go, Oh God, no. That sounds like having a baby sucking my breast. No, that's not sex. You know, that's sort of intimate. No, you're not getting that from me. That's what I that's what I'm planning to give a baby we might have, but not you. You're supposed to be my man. That's how they react. So when, they, when men are forced in front of women to actually formalize, put words to their fantasy about finding intimacy with women, this I think is a perfect example of a contemporary problem. I don't think huh. men who were fostered by their fathers to date women, respect women, you know, go on a date, enjoy the date, and eventually maybe turn one of the dates into your lover. I don't think those men who were fostered by their parents to be that way. I don't think that those men ever sought intimacy connected to the sex. That's really interesting. And let's, I, I want to, basically our podcast recordings are you galloping and me pulling back on the reins because you're wonderful. Is, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, hey, you look, you're handsome. They're all fantasies. Like <laughs> yeah, I'm just your advisor. I'm, your, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a fuck coach or something like that. That's what I'm that, That's the best what I could do for you. I mean, hey, hey, you're a handsome guy. So we are talking about you. That's obviously what everybody's going to think when they listen yeah, to Yeah, I put a ball gag in your mouth yeah, and I, I and I'm, flog yes, you as you, as you gallop. Totally happy with this. Totally happy with this. So yeah, yeah. No, no, you're with me. You're with me. I just did. No, I'm so with That you. was an interesting point. You put because you were honest when you said it. Look for sex with women. Be honest. You get a hard on. So, so you want to fuck women, right? Then just say that. No, I and I. You've you've alluded to this other point that that I didn't know for so fucking long, and when I heard it, it was such a relief for me. Was that the foundation of your capacity to relate healthily to women is your capacity to relate healthily to men and in a profound depth. And this is something that has changed my life to be totally honest. And I had, I had the capacity to have really deep relationships with men for a long time, but there was so much shame around it. You know, how, how deep do I go? How much can I expect from men? What do I need? I, you know, like I was just kind of pushed towards the opposite sex to get the kind of intimacy as you, as you say that, that I was really looking for. And through extreme sports that I practice, the bonds that develop in brotherhood when our, both of our lives are at stake Oh my God, they're fucking ironclad. They it's, are just... it's, it's military. That's what it is. Yeah, genetically exactly. speaking. Yeah, exactly. that's why so, I love you for it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so, so the, and I totally find, like I find myself right currently, I find myself absolutely just obsessed with a man, just in love with Andy Lewis He's the most prolific base jumper of all time. He's my mentor. He's one of my best friends. I just like, and 
he's his emotional intelligence and our capacity to have depth and to communicate in really emotional and intimate and it's like it's so fucking good as well as our sexual openness and the novel experiences and the communication and the the whole thing is just fucking it's crazy and it so grounds my capacity to relate to women yeah and that's exactly why guys used to go to the whorehouse together and fuck a whore together in the past uh-huh. which is not as horrible as it sounds now because the whore was probably you know a milf who loved to have dick right uh that has been replaced by the gang bang porn fantasy which is dominating masculine porn today completely uh-huh. Uh-huh. So this is a dream about being able to share the joy i call it heterohomoeroticism. So homohomoeroticism is basically gay sex, right? Uh-huh. The heterohomoeroticism is to share the sexual experience with other men, uh-huh. having hard-ons together, fucking women together and really enjoying it, uh-huh. right? And this is the dominant heterosexual male fantasy today. So that means men are actually deeply, profoundly looking for intimacy with other men, which has nothing to do with homosexuality. Uh-huh. This is completely, this is totally heterosexual. Yeah. Is the ultimate form of heterosexuality. Mm. So woman is there as a bridge between the two. And what many men report from having deep psychedelic experiences together is exactly the same kind of threesome, but the drug takes the place of the woman. Oh, wow. So this is what women want us to do. No woman ever wants to fuck marble or man. No woman ever wants to fuck the single guy. He's eerie. He's dangerous. He's not interesting. No, they, they go to the nightclub, they look at the bar, and they find a bunch of guys hanging out together really like each other and look really sincere with each other like they care. They don't, they don't even give too much attention to the women when they come to the bar. They give attention to each other, right? Once those guys start looking around, those are the hottest guys in the room for the girls. Because mm. if you come to the bar with, with four friends and you're five guys together, and you know what? Women even fantasize about getting gangbanged. From the tantric world, you know very early on that the dominant fantasy among women today is to be gangbanged by four guys. Up to 75% of women who express a sincere interest in their own sexuality want to be gangbanged. We're missing this component in sexuality. And it's not a swingers club. It's not the guy who walks around and finds it fancy that all the dicks are out and all the puss are out. Everybody says, no, no, no. This is not the guy they're looking for either. He's also eerie. He's not in charge. He's not there. He's not engaged. No, we're talking about guys having sex together, sharing a woman together, his experience with a woman, with a woman who's perfectly capable for that and actually fantasize about it and really enjoys it. That's how women scream when you fuck them, to get the attention of other men. Uh-huh. It's fundamentally why they scream. So this is sexuality. Sexuality is ritual. It's orgy. That's how it all started. That's biological still is. And once you get over these sort of contemporary hurdles and obstacles that people have built for themselves and these misconceptions about it's all about finding the right one and be romantically involved. And then apparently you're automatically supposed to have a great sex life without knowing anything about it, without anybody having taught you anything. None of those things work. So when we go back and study sexuality, we discover, okay, it's ritual. It's pretty contained and controlled in a society. Therefore, it's even more ecstatic when it's practiced. You're being taught. 
The reason why women are at their height between 18 and 28 is because they're supposed to have babies those years. The reason why they have a new peak between 38 and 45 is because then they're supposed to teach young men how to fuck. Hmm. So if you fuck the MILFs, biggest account on Tinder today is MILFs fucking 40-year-old MILFs fucking 23-year-old guys. It's also the safest way not to get reported by a girl who takes you to court for whatever you've done. Okay, MILFs just love to fuck. So what the MILFs do is that you fuck the MILFs and they throw you out when they're finished fucking. They don't want you to stay overnight. <laughs> they don't want you to get romantically involved. They hate to talk to you. You're just a really gorgeous toy boy with a big dick. And they want to fuck you really bad. They <laughs> throw you out. So this is wonderful for young men because young men are supposed to fuck women who are 40 years old. Because yeah. they are their sex teachers. Yeah. That's what they do when they're 23. So when they're 28, they, they can start fucking her girl who's 22 and have babies and family with her. Yeah. That's how biology works. Mm. Yeah. And such a controversial, uh, uh, seemingly controversial opinions here that just uh, wait till you sit down with, wait till you sit down with the guy who was 40 years old and he was a bit bigger than the other guys in the class and he was seduced by a school teacher. Any factor? Okay, he's a great lover the rest of his life after that experience. I can guarantee mm. that. He's not humiliated or anything like that at all. When those things happen, you run into them in psychoanalysis, you go at least, well, you don't have a problem with sexual confidence after that because you must have felt totally superior to all the other guys at school since you got to fuck the teacher. Yeah, I do. I still do. I said, yeah, I had the best teacher you could ever have and it was banned and forbidden and you know, all those things. That was you? <laughs> okay, okay. You're doomed to be polyamorous. You're doomed. <laughs> You're good at it. <laughs> okay. Why am I not surprised? <laughs> yeah. I gotta get. A I hold didn't of your... expect it, but I'm not surprised. Okay. Yeah. I gotta get a hold of your gag ball here, bad boy. Hold on. There's. <laughs> there. Basically, you've laid out that there's a uh, some ridiculous notions that we have around as you called it, this masculine um, fantasy that we would like control, possess, own, have our little like our little thing and that we would like bend off all the other intruders. And specifically, I'm referring to the sexual relationships we have with our partners. And I think like you mentioned, it's probably a great idea that if you want to have a family that a really um like committed intense uh, you know devotional relationship with another person so that you can start this family and and bring in other parents intentionally um protect provide all these things are, are really um likely the best way to do it and i think that you know the the biological case of if we just look back at the last um partly true but if, if you just want to look at the family things separately which i think is a good idea here if you then study 50 year olds and explore which marriages work best it was the marriages where the man and the woman saw each other's business partners. It's running a fucking corporation to raise a family together. Mm -hmm. And the ones that saw each other, yeah, 
I married the woman and raised the family with the woman who was the perfect business partner. She doesn't have to be my ultimate sexual partner any whatsoever. She uh-huh. doesn't have to be my ultimate romantic partner. She's just a gorgeous, fantastic woman, very self-confident, who really had this idea that she wanted to raise a family. And she picked me and she believed in me. Yeah. Those guys succeed. That's the one common denominator for successful marriages that raise kids and stay together. Because you already from day one had the proper pragmatic expectation from the relationship yeah. and you will love your kids and you will probably love your kids even more than your partner. And that's the point. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So I, that, that's, that's a success formula for raising a family. So we it, can keep that separate. It allows even more room to be sexually attracted to other women. Yeah. And that ties in with what we were saying earlier that marriage and deep committed monogamy makes so much sense in the, in the context of family and children. And outside of that, it becomes like, it starts to fall apart a bit. And we've tend, we, we seem to be finding ourselves in a culture right now that is kind of all Peter Pan, all party, all orgy, no family, and is struggling to make sense of monogamy or polyamory based on the past of our conditioning and the future of our, that we know we're going to have more sexual desire than we can, um, than we can bite into. And yet we want the safety and comfort of the teat and there's there's so much there um i do i i want to i want to tie this in you know schmachtenberger made a beautiful presentation at the stoa where he talked about as he called it an index for the health of any relationship society uh any kind of structure you can look at and that was and i'm maybe not doing it total justice here with how small of a paraphrase this is, but essentially on one side of the scale, you have jealousy, which is your emotions being negatively coupled to another person, meaning that when they experience pleasure, you experience pain on the other Uh, side. Then you're in a competitive mode with a partner, which you have no right to be. Absolutely. It is inherently rivalrous. It is inherently competitive. Yes. On the other side, on the positive spectrum, we have compersion, which is a word that was created by the polyamorous community in the 90s or some shit because there was not a word for it in English, which is so telling. And that is where your emotions are positively coupled, where when someone experiences pleasure, joy, it brings you pleasure. It brings you joy. So the metric the index that he's talking about is whether your emotions are positively coupled or negatively coupled um the opposite is like sadism right where if someone experiences pain it brings you pleasure that's also a negative coupling i, of I your... would go a bit further and say i'd like to get the the emotions out of this because it's too childish the, the thing is that you can't do polymerosity unless you're adult so when women like the idea of polymerosity, they're ready for it. And then they discover that the male partner is too childish. They go completely cold about the whole idea. For example, he wants to both have a cake and eat it at the same time. Childish. You have to decide. You have to sacrifice something to get anything in life. Usually you can sacrifice something, get something better in return. You cannot even guarantee that's the case. 
Usually when you've done something, you're finished with it, you sacrifice it, and then you do something else. That's fine. But you've got to be an adult about it. So I would say this. For example, if you're a man, you're polyamorous, and there's compersion. And if your woman is fucked by another man, you love her even more. And if you fuck other women and then fuck her, you love her even more. Mm-hmm. So if, if, all, if all the equations go towards, I love you more if you, lo- if you just let me fuck other women, I will fuck you even better and I will love you even more for it. That's just how I work. Mm-hmm. And when you are fucked by another man, it turns me on. You're welcome to come home and tell me the story and arouse me. I love it. I love when you're a slut with a man. I think you're fantastic. Do it. Okay. If you said those two things, you've been an adult, you said this. That also next allows the next important step. When she then feels pain. And whenever feelings are an argument, you've allowed infantility to sneak back in. When a woman tells you she feels pain and you must respect her feeling the pain, you just tell her, listen, that's an issue between you and an older woman. Got nothing to do with me whatsoever. Nothing. Do your work. Do your work. If you want to be serious with me and respect me as a man, do your fucking work. Go and see an older woman. Because if I have emotions that I use as arguments against you, like you have to diminish and shrink yourself because something is painful for me, then I've turned myself into an 11-year-old. Then I'm no longer an adult. And you should tell me to go and fuck myself and go see an older man to get advice and get out of this trap. Because your emotions are never the argument to prevent your partner from becoming a smaller person. So the trick here is to first go through, if I honestly think you're hotter if you fuck other guys, and if I honestly think I love you more if I fuck other women, then I'm serious about this. This is just how how I function. If you function the same way, you're a perfect partner. If you don't function that way, then please tell me, but it's not my job to fix you. Go and find a partner that matches you. That's where I think if you're going to have a primary partner, if we talk about that, then I think that's essentially where you need to be. And I don't allow women when they walk into the room to have emotional arguments against the man. It's a very common female trick to play that trick. And I said, listen, girl, if you want to be more than 11 years old, you need to carry your feelings and you need to look at the bigger picture because you're getting the world from this guy. You're getting more than any woman could ever expect from a man from this guy. He loves you endlessly. The fact that he sees the other woman is to arouse himself to fuck even better. If you don't see the benefits of that, if you don't see how that expands you, then stay 11 years old or work on yourself. That's what I would do with women. Because they would have to do the same with the men. Hmm. I don't allow pain or pleasure to be arguments here. I don't think there's anything to do with sadism or masochism. I think it has to be being a grown-up adult and realize that you are not alone in a relationship with this woman. She needs to have other sisters around her. She needs to have a strong sisterhood. You should never have a relationship with a woman who does have a lot of sisters, a lot of women. You should always have a girlfriend who's popular with other girls. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, she isn't sound. There's something bad going on there. It's not smelling right, right? And she should certainly have older women around her she can go to and deal with these things. And an older woman would never allow the younger woman to use emotional arguments against the husband who loves her. Hmm. Unheard of. It's interesting that you use, I, I feel like you're, you're muddying two things though here, which is emotions and argument. Because I don't necessarily see, you know, like when I share with someone what comes up for me emotionally, it's, it can be weaponized. My emotions can be weaponized. But just that I have emotions isn't inherently weaponized. And my sharing with you, 
my emotions isn't inherently weaponized. It's not inherently an argument. And as I work through relationship with someone, all my fucking conditioning comes up. The, the, the fact that I want to like own and possess my girlfriend is like something that I see as infantile. I see it as undeveloped and it arises in me and sharing it is not inherently weaponized. Listen, listen, there's nothing that kills your sex size more than being a therapist for your partner. <laughs> don't ever go there. Just don't. That's the one thing I find constantly with people. They become therapists for their partners. It kills everything. Huh. It kills it. Another person is supposed to be a therapist, not you. You deserve better. Hmm. And if you have a girlfriend you become the therapist for, you become, you become a controlling person who likes the fact that somebody's weaker than you, tell them close to you, and then you adjust yourself according to their feelings. Yeah. That's like a mother taking care of a baby. That's not a husband with a wife or a man with yeah. a lover. Yeah, I feel that. Feel that. So the thing is, you got to make priorities between these feelings. Okay, if love is the dominant thing, if love is sacred, if love means you want your partner to expand and have a rich life, you want your partner to have adventures, you want your partner to live anything they want to do, you don't want your partner to compromise on their desire. If that's the number one thing, then all other feelings must be submitted to that condition. Mm. You cannot allow other feelings to say, yeah, I'd love everything that's good for you. I'd love you to live and expand in my presence. But when it comes to my feelings here, I want to shrink you. Uh, listen, that's your shrinking problem. Oh. <laughs> Deal with it. Why don't you want what's best for your husband? Why don't you want what's best for your wife? Why don't you want him to grow and expand? Yeah. What in you gives you the right to belittle the person you claim to love? It's not love. It comes from a really bad place. Mm -hmm. Expose it. And then tell your partner, listen, I'll gladly pay for a see fucking therapist. You know, deal with it. I'm waiting for you. I love you. But it's not my job to be a therapist because the one advice I get from guys like Alexander Bart is that therapy in the bedroom kills everything. Mm. Get it out of there. Literally. Yeah, this is... Um, I, I, I just... I just love how brash you are with this. This is just <laughs> fucking, it's so good, man. It's so good. I just love it. I don't that. have a problem with women. That's for sure. <laughs> because no, women so love good. to hear this. Just, oh, that hurts. Yeah, I played that game. Yeah. But when you say it, yeah. 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 Why would I go for that guy? And if the guy falls for my trick, if the guy stops behaving the way he wants, if he compromises or decides because I play with the emotional card, I start disrespecting him. Exactly. Of course. If you turn your boyfriend into your therapist, you will disrespect him the second you do it. Of course. Because then he shows weakness. And you don't want that from a man if you're a woman. Yeah. You want him to be powerful, visionary, going somewhere in life, being devoted to his cause, yep. being good with his brothers, having strong male relationships around him, being successful. Like you're almost terrified that he, he, he might not want you because he wants something better, but he still wants you so you can appreciate it. Right? That's, that's what women want to be. Yeah, but they want so, they want they want the prerogative to be able to say yes or no if they want to be part of your part of your vision. Absolutely, you must accept at a date that a woman can love you for being honest with you with your, with her and tell her your vision and where you're going. Give her the vision. I'm going to go there in my life. What mm -hmm. do you say, darling? And she could say, "Love you for telling me, but I'm not part of that." Yeah, and you have to accept that if that happens.
Yeah. But take it away that she loved you for saying it and she admired you for being honest because another woman will say, yes, I would love to be part of your vision. Can I yeah. please be your primary partner, girlfriend, whatever you want to call it. Right? Yeah, I love that. You have to be able to, that's like being authentic, living your actual authentic path and then letting the people who find you and want to be around that path, be around that path and yeah. be courageous enough to let the people who don't want to go away right and the people pleasing falls away immediately yeah but but we're we we've, we've circled around something really nice here and i think that that is the disillusionment we currently have around what love is and then yeah. the real the much more real metaphysical reality of love and um you know what i've heard from you is that the the hyper romanticism this romeo and juliet thing that was intended as comedy and that we looked at these two idiots as just pathetic morons of for killing themselves that they couldn't be together it's just um uh you know it's pathological and in, um it is so deep in our in our culture and then there is you know, this really painful and kind of disgusting reality that you just laid out, which is that if, if I say that what I mean when I say that I love you is that I want you to have an expansive and rich human experience. And I wouldn't want for my insecurities to stop you from experiencing something beautiful. If that yes. really is what I mean, when I say that I love you, then all of my other emotions have to be subservient to that. Yes. And then when and I what, have what you emotions... just said, when your insecurities are, they're like, I have insecurities. Of course I do. I work on them without you. Yeah. Don't get I deal involved. with them. I deal, I with, deal with them with other men. I go to other with them with Alexander. And support me. And, and yeah, now the guys will give me the self-confidence and the insecurities will be gone. So I deal with them. That's and right. I expect you to do the same with you. And, and let's not ever bring therapy into the bedroom. Uh, basically, the way I do it is that I don't do boy meets girl. But I do family being built. And I do orgy being planned. Uh -huh. <laughs> I believe in family and orgy. I do not believe in boy meets girl. Mm. That's the way you would summarize the kind of work that I do. And I love that. And it's like, it's so helpful. You know, I wish that everyone had a, a fucking older Scandinavian polyamorosity philosopher that they could call like I do, you know, it's very helpful. Um, you well, know. They're not as handsome and fascinating as ventures as you are. So they don't get it. I know. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm your fan. I love this conversation. I yeah, love precisely it's... because I love you as a brother. I think you're great. Uh, I think you're onto something here. And here's the trick though. When you do tantric sex, anybody can learn this in two minutes. You basically create a hologram. Think of it like a box. You got masculine, feminine on one side. You got dominant, submissive on the other side. Ooh. And the third one is exhibitionist voyeur. And anybody can put themselves inside that box in a specific spot. Yeah. So where do you go in exhibitionist voyeur? Oh, I, I go more to that side. Okay. Very often, sexual is the opposite of social. So social exhibitionists very often happen to be a sexual voyeur. A sexual, uh, you know, a sexual exhibitionist happen to be a social voyeur, etc. Same thing with dominant submission. 
a banker who runs a big bank five days a week wants to be totally dominated on a Friday night by a dominatrix, right? Yeah. So we, we play these things out. The social and the sexual very often reflect each other's opposites, which is a good place to start. Not necessarily, but very often. But once you bring somebody into the room, say I got a woman in front of me, a young, beautiful woman, she's doing her first country course. And I'm saying, here's the hologram. Listen, just give yourself a spot in this hologram. And I can tell you straight away, like your perfect sexual partner is in the exact opposite of that hologram, the opposite end. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Your woman, heterosexual, he's a man. Okay. Uh, your dominant like to be dominatrix. You like submissive guy here. Yeah. But you also like the guy to be an exhibitionist to show himself out while you're a voyeur. Great. Here's the guy. Okay. So the two points you have here is your starting point. Wow. Wow. He's hot. Yeah. Cause Sally's hot. Cause he meets everything you ever dreamed of in one person. Isn't that fantastic? Now, all you're going to do when you do tantric sex, you're going to play around around this point of yours and be a little more free. So you can dance around it. And that's all you're going to do. Then we're going to send some tantricas into the room, a couple of men, a couple of women who are born to fuck anything that moves and are deeply schematic. Don't be terrified of walking to the room because they dance around the whole fucking hologram. Uh -huh. But that's their job. Uh -huh. That's their archetype. They're perfectly happy with that. You're not supposed to mimic them. They're crazy wisdom. Don't do that. Just stay with your point to be comfortable with it and be really proud of being yeah. the woman or the man who is at that point. And then start playing around from that point. And here's the trick. What we're lacking today in a world drenched in the exhibitionism and voyeurism is to understand that that has a sexual version too. Yeah. And that dissolves the too much attention to the dominant submission thing. Because now when you can play with all three, masculine, feminine, we also get the guys to have a girl with a strap on fucking with the ass, you know, with, you know, lipstick on and everything to know what it's like to be a woman, to be fucked. You know, it's, it's just, it makes you a better lover. All these things you can play with in Tantra. And it's all about having a much richer, more varied experience of sexuality. Understanding mm -hmm. what it's like to be a woman being fucked is fantastic for a guy because it makes you a much better lover. Right. And, yeah, and it's so interesting to too. You get these guys to dance around the point in the hologram and suddenly, oh, wow, they just love it. They love it because they finally can enjoy and love sex for being sex. Yeah. Which is incredibly rewarding. I, yeah, it is incredibly rewarding. And I feel like this is something that's been happening in me in the last year, honestly. Like I've always had a pretty rich sex life, but like only in the last year have I felt comfortable enough in myself that I'm kind of like opening my awareness to where I might actually be in the hologram, as you say, like where I land on that point. And even as you, even as you say it now, and I ruminate on it now, I can see my own insecurities wanting to place me in the box somewhere that might not actually be where I would actually be. You know, when you say, um, exhibitionist or voyeur, I'm, I'm not sure, but I know that exhibitionist protects my insecurities. So I've definitely, I'm, I'm not, I actually don't, I see my insecurities in that um, dichotomy that I'm not actually sure where I would. Well, exhibitionist really is, is not narcissistic at all. Exhibitionist means that you're great at fucking and you love to have an audience because you feel yeah. a bit lonely being that terrific. Yeah, and but you give of your abundance. You just yeah, but give that's not away my generosity point. of your abundance. And yeah. the voyeurs love you for it. One of the things I've done, for example, <laughs> you got the guy and the girl, the dating, he's fucking around and she's a bit grumpy and they fall into the traditional gender roles that the girl is supposed to be monogamous to the guy, which is blatantly not true. And suddenly they go to Tantra course together. 
They get to step four. She gets fucked by four guys in the gangbang. She screams like hell. And he's watching it and he loves it. And he sees voyeur, her voyeur. And he gets finally, this is what we were waiting for to happen. She loves to be fucked by four guys, not even me being one of them. And I love it. And they finally can have a really rich relationship together because often it is that close fantasy they haven't even dared looking at that they actually share. But by playing with a hologram and then playing in front of others, they get self-confidence very quickly. Like, yeah, I like this. Wow, this is easier than I thought. This is so nice. But you know what the trick is with the guys? This is a secret trick. The first thing you do with the men you take the men into a room and you say, stop delivering. What do you mean? You're heterosexual. If your dick doesn't get hard on, if a woman walks into the room, it's her fault. Mm. Only. Really? Yes. Stop delivering. Get the delivery out of the way. It's not sexy. It's just prestige. It's just that she might not want me if I don't have a heart on. Uh, a woman would like a g- the guy with the limb dick, but what would they do with it? Well, it's not your responsibility. Just lay there. And when she comes to the room and says, I look great, don't I? It's your job to get it going. Come on, baby. <laughs> you know, once they learn to do that, wow. Most men today are stuck in the prestige of thinking they're going to deliver when they have sexual intercourse. That's not the point at all. Hmm. For the woman to truly enjoy having sex with her, she also caused your dick to stand and be hard. That's what she loves. And your delivery thing getting into the, getting into the way is very often the problem why women feel insecure. And then the woman is locked up and she pretends to be a lot more monogamous than she is because she's afraid of hurting his feelings because he's got this stuck up problem all the time of having the heart on. And women can't point out what's wrong. And it's that prestige that guys need to get rid of. If guys can just get that out of the way, like having a limb dick is perfectly fine. Walk through the RV. You don't have a heart on. So what? You mm-hmm. will get a heart on when you are aroused. And the arousal will point you towards your position in the hologram where you get aroused and your sexuality is located. That's guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Just wait for it. And That's the guys amazing. are so much calmer. They're so much freer. They're so much nicer to be around for the women as well. So oh, get that this. one thing out of the way. That's the trick. And it's it's hilarious how analogous this is for life in general. Yes. <laughs> like literally what you're talking best about. Point, best point in this conversation. Social, sexual. Yes, absolutely. That it is, is for exactly life. it. Yes. Like literally, yeah. you have to be open and content with your unarousal so that you can find your arousal. You, and, yeah. and the analogy in life is that if you're constantly trying to people please, if you're ch- constantly trying to pretend that your dick is hard for software engineering, then you're never going to realize when it's actually parenting that you want to do. Yeah. That's or so beautiful. Never, and it's- ever, never, ever compromise on your desire because if you compromise your desire, then you become a slave to somebody else's desire that dominates you. Yeah. Okay. Never compromise your desire. Meaning, seriously, wait until you got the lust to get involved with something and do it. Don't do it otherwise. Yep. Unless you absolutely have to. Yep. But if this goes for life in general, perfect point, then it certainly goes for your sexuality. Yeah. 
The delivery station for the man is the date. The delivery and, station and, is the date. It, it's when you give her a fucking fur coat. You can't. It's help when herself. you do She's the so show. Roused. It's when you make a show. Yeah, yeah. That's when you deliver. You don't deliver during sex. Mm. And deliver. When you say deliver, I hear. It's uh, like the the short term I would use is people pleasing, but it's essentially where you imagine what the other person wants, and then you give you shape yourself around that you give them what you imagine they want you maybe do it with the twist as well like they're a bit surprised almost uncomfortable and then she shoved the bits that she really wanted this so badly because she sees the thought you had behind it so it's uh-huh. an abundance coming from you so the word for woman giving his best to no, for man giving his best to woman the word for that is abundance the word for woman giving her best to a man is generosity Mm, yeah. So if a woman isn't generous, leave her. And if a man cannot supply it with an abundance, leave him. Ooh. Because man wants to give an abundance to woman. He wants there to be more than he needs. He wants there to be more than she even needs. He wants uh-huh. it to be everything she ever wanted, everything you ever needed, including a child could be there as well and also be included. That's abundance. That's why men go out hunting. They kill a big animal, drag it home. Put it in front of a woman's lesson. I killed a moose. We're going to moose feast. Okay. Uh, of course, that leads to sex. It leads to fucking orgy two hours later. She's aroused because he came home with abundance. Whoa. He gives me abundance. I can then give him generosity back. Right. Because mm-hmm. I picked some berries and some fruits and I baked some decorations on the steak. And, you know, it's, it's a nice sauce to go with it. Oh, wow. What a meal. Date. Two hours later, hormones are perfectly matched for you to have a fucking orgy with each other, right? It's just I, the way biology works. I love this. But why don't you, I want to, where does the, you know, there's a, there's this incessant, I, I think it's incessant and I think it's um, very low level, very pixelated lens that everyone loves to use right now, which is like masculine and feminine. And these like gender roles and everything's kind of being tossed up right now. Um, Masculine and feminine are deeply different, but they're equal. Well, I also think that in general, they, they're they not inherently like they don't actually exist. That is one way. That's like a lens that we use to understand the way things are but that's not inherently no masculine and feminine exist and they're impossibilities to each other woman is alien to you You you're alien to woman that's exactly where you're sexually attracted by her Uh uh-huh so the way it works is that there are two switches there's the literal and there's the symbolic so if you're a straight man you worship dick literally and you worship dick symbolically otherwise you'd be transsexual you're happy with your dick you're happy with your symbolic dick, the dick in your head, your masculinity. You're happy with the dick between your legs because that's where you deliver sex, right? So mm-hmm. a gay man is literally worshiping his dick, but symbolically worshiping the matrix. That's why I always say that. That's why you hear Madonna, Lady Gaga records, even in gay leather clubs. Woman is present as the voyeur. The relationship between gay guys and fag guys are incredibly fascinating because they're totally into exhibitionism and voyeurism with each other constantly. So the, the, the symbolic is in the matrix. That's why the guy goes gay. 
So he, he sympathizes with women with having a male body, having sex with other men or male bodies, and that matches the gay guy. So a straight woman worships matrix literally, and she worships matrix symbolically. A lesbian woman worships matrix literally. She's a lesbian, hey, but she's symbolically phallic. Mm. And then the trick is that men are two brains dominate. We're torn between rational and emotional and the mimetic brain, the third brain is underdeveloped in men. The mimetic brain is overdeveloped in women. It's the strongest point, whereas they have a smaller emotional and a smaller and rational brain compared to men. This leads women to have one story about themselves called mythos. And it's the only story of unity that exists among human beings. It always goes through women. Whereas men have two stories that are conflicting with one another, logos and pathos. And man is this conflict. Camille Paglia, many other anthropologists have gone through this. I'm not alone in this research, but this is the detailed study of it. So man is essentially split between his two brain halves, between the logos and the pathos. That means that man is also fundamentally split on the leadership level between the priest and the chief. Because the priest is the master of the logos and the chief is the master of the pathos. That's why we can't have tyrants on the male side. But you can have one woman leading women because woman is only mythos. The advantage for that woman is that when we fuck woman, put our dicks inside her pussy, we feel unity. And we only feel unity when we do that. Whereas what woman feels when she gets fucked by dick is adventure, dichotomy, mm. conflict, which is exactly why women love serial murders even. <laughs> so, so women love conflict. They love the cotton. They love the contradiction in a the man. They love the fact that he's a constant struggle with himself. Whereas we love a woman is this comfort of having the mythos and just one story in her. The only price women pay for that is that they find it hard to differentiate between fact and fiction. So the difference between fact and fiction, they need to go to men or an older woman who's experienced. This is how tribe works. It's called sociontology. It's basically how the original tribe functioned worked for hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of years, because before we created civilization five years, 5,000 years ago, we haven't changed since then. So this is actually how sexuality operates. And these switches are very interesting. This is also what a transsexual is, which is actually, we discovered it. A transsexual is a man who does not literally worship his dick and therefore wants a pussy there instead. So he's not gay because then he would worship his dick and want matrix symbolically. If he was straight, he would worship his dick and would want dick symbolically. A transsexual man says, I cannot have the stick. I must have a pussy. I must have a female body. And because I have a female body, then I can be either lesbian or straight, doesn't matter. The two other switches are completely dependent on the first switch, which is the literal one. This is incredibly helpful for transsexual people to go through transition, which I do in psychoanalysis. They get it. We all refer to ourselves. Sexuality starts with reference to ourselves. What woman is for you, if you fuck woman, is that she compliments you. Hmm. You love your own dick. You want your dick to go into a beautiful garden to feel unity. But you want to keep your dick. You love your dick. That is what sexuality is. It's always auto-sexually, always referring to yourself and your own role in relationship with women. This is why we go on a date with a woman. You feel more masculine than ever, despite the fact you're sitting opposite a woman. The power of contradiction. So this is the beauty of heterosexuality. It's an impossibility. Mm. That's why it works. That's yeah. what sticks. That's what the obsession stays until you're finally old and die. Uh-huh. It's a treadmill of a mountain. Yeah. And homosexuality is its own impossibility because that lies in the symbolic where the conflict lies. Uh-huh. 
I find it very rewarding because we talk about these things. The, the tricky question is always on. But if woman is then symbolically in, in, in the phallus and she becomes a lesbian, where is the logos pathos conflict then? Well, it took me years to find out a lot of depth interviews with lesbians. And I found out it's in the lesbian relationship. The butch dyke is the pathos. Uh-huh. And the lesbian femme is the logos. And that's why straight men are so comfortable among lesbian farm women, because they're like young matriarchs. They're so self-confident. And all they tell you, I don't want your dick. I got my butch dykes and they got fucking arms. I don't need your dick at all. So don't piss me off, you know. Incredibly powerful women, lesbian farms. Around the best hospices, the best restaurants, the best hotels in the world, always run by lesbian farms. They're very comfortable among men. And the brothel madam is a matriarch who is heterosexual but old. Those two women are two of the most powerful, powerful women in society. What's the term you're using? The lesbian thumb? The lesbian femme. 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 femme yeah, femme. F- femme in France, I say in the French part. Uh-huh. So it's the French word, femme. Like, uh-huh. like the she's, feminine. Like, she's like, she's more, fe- she's strong but feminine, right? Yeah. And the butch not is the more d- like, the butch, the butch tag is more like a teenager forever. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's like 60 years old all the time and funny and jumps around and fights. You know, that's what lesbians fight all the time. And they have these bar fights and throw beers at each other and things. They're wonderful. I love them. I basically <laughs> lesbian happens to have a built-in dildo. That's just me. You know, that's my problem. <laughs> but, you know, I love these women. And, and it, it, was, it was this research that took me years to say, where's the logos pathos divide then? Because lesbians are symbolically in the phallic. They're so fucking self-confident. They're never terrified of men or scared of men. And by the way, all the world's athletes on the female side and most of them are lesbians. So there you go. To wrap up here, I think so much of what you've said is clarifying and all of what you've said is incredibly provocative. Just one of the reasons I love you so much. Um, I think I would love to hear from you how you would encourage people to, because so much of what you said is basically predicated on people's ability to be sensitive to where, to who they really are, to like where they land in that hologram, as you've said, the box of, of, of their preferences and their capacities and who they are, what turns them on, what lights them up. My intuition is that we're kind of stuck in a world where that shit is covered up. We're not actually taught how to feel ourselves to know where that is. So I would love a a bit of encouragement on that. And then the other thing is almost like the structure of support. Once you find that or the structure of support to find that, um, you know, you've alluded a number of times to it being older men for men or older women for women, if you're trying to figure this out. So yeah, I would love to hear your encouragements for that first bit. And then just a clarification of the support structure. You think that rule number one, you must be an adult. You fall through, you become a boy, women become girls, but the effort is to get back up again and become a man or a woman. Okay. That's where you go to the older man to stay there. So the man holds you responsible for your plan and he holds you responsible for being an adult and he teaches you and supports you in how to be an adult. Girls or women need to do the same thing with older women. That's what happens in tribes. Okay, once you have the ambition to stay adult, the older man will love you 
He will love you intensely. He will see himself as wisdom and he will see you as energy. I live in a Kurdish Sufi monk relationship with the younger man. He's my energy. I'm his wisdom. By the, you know, sometimes he's more wise than I am, by the way, but don't tell him, right? We love each other to bits. We love women. We live together and we travel the world together. I love living in a Sufi monk relationship with him. It's a typical example, older man, younger man together. And once that works, you're adult. When you walk into the tantric hologram, you do take responsibility for yourself. You are your own support system. Then if in the sexual act, it's a bit challenging or whatever, that's precisely why you have the exhibitionism and the voyeurism. You have the dominant submission. You have masculine and feminine. Because you will find people who want to engage with you in a variety of ways sexually, not just a woman, but other men and other women. This is ritual. This is collective. Yeah. This is why you need to engage these other people. And when yeah. you then fuck, you're an exhibitionist, and you fuck that beautiful woman, and she's aroused, and you maybe got a couple of guys to fuck her too, and you got a fucking voyeur, who's usually the nightclub owner or something like that. He's the guy who arranged the whole thing. He can't help himself. And he, he comes in as a butler in the middle of it all and says, here's tea, and pretends nothing is happening in the room. And the woman goes absolutely crazy nuts because it's so fucking hot, right? When you see that whole game being staged and being played out and how erotic it is and how you're pretending that nothing is happening in the room, although it's hot like crazy in the room, you get so fucking right. You can't believe you're there. You're close to the infinite now, what I call you, close to the most ecstatic experience of sexuality. It's not about you and a woman being isolated and there you're going to have that arousal. Mm-hmm. Once people discover sexuality is much richer, it's much more collective, it's much more tribal, mm-hmm. You know, it gets so much more value because of it, because yeah. it ties the entire fucking tribe together. Yeah, I love this. And, and it and- produces the next generation as a byproduct. So the trick is this. If you feel that you don't have the self-confidence yet to do a certain venture, or you know you're adult, you know you're ready for it, then guys like me will just push you there. You know, like it will push you there. No, you yeah. can't do it. Go there and do it. And then enjoy it with your brothers, if nothing else. It helps, you know? Yeah, and... This is beautiful. And I think that you're alluding to this, the benefit for the collective. Once, you know, as we spoke, there's something inherently rivalrous about jealousy. There's something inherently competitive. And so many of us know the downstream effects collectively of our individual relationships, the pathology being competition and possession and and that's exactly what guys are dreaming about the gangbang because the gangbang are four men who just magically collaborate i can tell you one thing about a woman who goes into gangbang situation for guys if the if she if she sees a single sign of rivalry between the four guys she goes completely cold in a second oh interesting what she loves is the fact they're so fucking synchronized and they love doing it together. And there's brotherly love between the four men doing it. Mm. That's the trick. That's exactly why men dream about the gang band, because they're dreaming about the gang of having that type of close brotherhood, even in a sexual sensitive situation with a woman. We're all around together and all rivalry is gone. We're dreaming about a world without rivalry. And that's exactly what we're dreaming about Paul Ross at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's a fantastic challenge to take on. I totally embrace it because we need to go into the non-rivalrous. We do. And I tell you, this is why a woman says, I get so turned by a fuck by four big dicks. You have no idea. But you know what? I also know they have the power to completely interrupt the whole thing. It's like, this is not working, guys. 
And she does that exactly when she discovers there's a rivalry between the guys. Because mm-hmm. the guy yeah. who's not fucking her is supposed to be the voyeur. So the guy is fucking her. And they're supposed to play with that and enjoy it. That's why we're dreaming about the gangbang. It's not about the woman. It's about having the most intense relationships with other men, without rivalry, to then go sexual with a woman as the reward for having reached that point. Uh-huh. And women uh-huh. love it. Wow. Women love it. They're dreaming to find that kind of collaboration between men and they find it incredibly hot. That's why they don't fuck Marlboro man, as I repeatedly say. Yeah, the loner. He's yeah. just eerie. He's just eerie. He's weird. He's weird. Yeah, evolutionarily, he doesn't make sense. He's the rapist. He, he's, he's weird. Really weird. No, 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 no. A woman yeah, and- who's, who's with herself, he said, no, of course not. I, I look at the guys and I see how they organize themselves and how they behave when they come into the bar. And I'm perfectly happy if they ignore me for two hours and don't look at the girls at all, because then they're busy with each other as they should be. And then after a few drinks, they start looking around. Oh, the beautiful women in the room. And then you go, yeah, and we're generous. Because yeah. we like you, right? Yeah, That's it's so the perfect sexual encounter, right? It's beautiful, and it totally maps onto my sexual experience with other men. The yeah. the the feeling of collaboration and like connection that allows us to have a experience with a woman that is abundant and centered and and not desperate or not seeking all of those things. It's just, my my experience maps onto what you're saying so much. Yeah. It's the deepest sexual fantasy we have today. And that's why pornography has exploded with the gangbang porn. And I'm looking at, I'm just looking at, so what's going on? Because pornography is a really good barometer where things are going. Yeah. Because you can reflect all of, of the social of the world in pornography, because pornography is the most honest narrative that exists. It's a pathical narrative. And that's what's interesting to see why gangbangs have exploded. And I've asked the guys around me, or Tantric and all that, well, we're all dreaming about having that unity between the four guys. It's not about the woman at all. Yeah, of course, women are nymphomaniacs and they deserve to have four dicks. Great. You know, great. Hmm. Great that women finally embrace the enormous power of female sexuality. Fantastic. We can give her seven fucking types of orgasms because of it. That's how many orgasms a woman can have. Up to seven different types of orgasms. The female body is a bomb waiting to be set ablaze. Hmm. And this is why guys said, maybe I can't be that king who fucks that queen, but I can certainly prove to a woman that I can be a really good brother with three other guys. And we're totally comfortable with each other. And we know each other. We die for each other. We were out in the battlefield together. And therefore, she will now enjoy the four of us. And that's exactly right right now, that the queen gets fucked by the gangbang. That's, that's, I find it a very interesting place to be. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting, too, because you've used the term gangbang so many times today, and it has (laughs) – I know that you love it. I know that you love it. It's big, and it's big for a reason. You love love it. and But it has such negative connotation because, as you described earlier, the the pornographic gangbang is currently this, like, dominating – this, like – it's almost like a punitive, dominating – Thing. It's not a collaborative, co-creative thing. And have you I, met, I think the, have you met I, the millions of people who are jerking off to these movies? Or they're obviously popular, otherwise they wouldn't be around. So that speaks volumes. No, I, I agree. don't care. I don't care what the official sutric version of tantric sex is out there in the world. It, it will always be. It will always be the scared people. It will always be the uglies who hate us who will go on with their shit. I don't care. I care what we do inside the tantric realm where we embrace our own sexuality 
and we completely accept it, explore it. And, and we just, like you and I want to do here with Brother Love, we ju- I just want you to expand. I just want you to expand. Yeah. I, from the bottom of my heart, I just want you to expand in your life and, and expand yeah. at your own pace. Mm-hmm. That's all I want. I desire nothing else. That's a good point to start from. And then you start exploring through anthropology what sexuality really is. And you realize, oh my God, none of the nonsense we've been taught over the last 200 years has made any sense at all because this has just been about containing the power of sexuality in a really tensely populated urban environment to make people frustrated so they overconsume. Okay, okay. Why don't we try exploring a great, fantastic sexuality? It will never be harmonious. It will never be balanced. And what you get turned on by is something you do not understand. Mm. That's the point. But we never preach that. We don't do that. We say that, as my case, all my friends are tantric. I couldn't trust them otherwise. It's beautiful. Yep. I'll do my best, buddy. Doing my best. I so appreciate your (laughs) You're going to fly (laughs) like you do with everything else in your life. Great. Great to see you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So fun, Alex. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. There is so much in this conversation, and one of the things that I will take away from it is the... And this is something that I've realized in other aspects of my life, and I think I mentioned it in in the recording, is the quality of your relationship with the opposite sex being predicated on the quality of your relationships with your own sex. And so I hope that's empowering and encouraging for men to dive into their male friends and community and have real relationships, not just kind of bullshit shallow ones and vice versa with the women out there. So hoping you guys all as fruitful and delicious and juicy of relationships as you can muster in your life. And if you'd like to have deeper relationships, that is one of the my areas of expertise. So if you want to work on your relationships and need some help there, feel free to check out airintheair.com. There's a coaching page. Would love to help you with that. And as always, if you like this show, consider supporting on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. Patreon.com slash airintheair. And eventually I will get a less squeaky chair. So thanks for tuning in. Love you guys. See you in the next episode.